G'day, everyone. Welcome back to the D2C Slingshot podcast. Today, I'm joined with Yong Lee, the owner of Ambachi. Just want to quickly give us a rundown on your business and what you actually do. So Ambachi is a luxury, Australian-made luxury skincare brand. Um, we specialize in creating formulations with fruit and plant stem cells. So that's what we're most well known most well known for. Um, We've been in the Australian industry for about 10 years now. We're celebrating 10 years next week. Um, Yeah, so it's a great milestone for us. Um, But yeah, basically we're we're a skincare brand dedicated to celebrating the Australian Australian, uh, industry um, and Australian manufacturing industry. Because um, I guess one of the things when you look at skincare and luxury skincare, most in um, most importantly, is that there are a few countries that kind of dominate that. Um, so for us, when you ask somebody on a, where do you think luxury skincare comes from? A lot of them will say US, France, Japan. Um, but it's a real shame that nobody ever says Australia because we have like access to infrastructure and resources that are equally as good um, as these major players. So it was kind of like, well, why don't we create that and, and celebrate it? Yeah, and what makes it so good? Uh, so like I said, we're mostly known for our fruit and plant stem cell formulations. So essentially fruit and plant stem cells are antioxidants for the skin um, and they're really, really powerful antioxidants. So if you go and look at the efficacy researches that have been done on these particular ingredients in products, it's just, it's mind blowing, it's amazing. Um, so that's what makes, firstly, that's what makes one of our products so good. But the really beautiful thing about these fruit and plant stem cells as well is that they are sustainably sourced. So this is not something that we kind of capitalized on in the early days, but now we're kind of realizing how much of a, how much of a good story this makes. But um, they're actually yeah, so sustainably sourced. So um, there's, a, for example, the apples that we use in our, one of our eye creams. Um, it's actually sourced from an apple variety called the Utfilisch Betlauber. So it's a Swiss, it's a Swiss um, origins and it's known for its storability and longevity. Um, now, one of the sad things about that though is that it's actually very, um, it's on the verge of extinction. Um, so through the stem cell cultivation processes, we're actually um, supporting conservation practices as well. So that's a really cool thing. And, we're, and then obviously through conservation, we're supporting biodiversity, um, encouraging habitat regrowth and, gen- and preserving genetic biodiversity. Yeah, awesome. And how did you even get into this field? Because you just like told me about like Australia or Swiss skincare market, which is a super saturated market. Like what made you even want to start this adventure? Um, so it's kind of going back to my journey a little bit more than a decade ago. Um, so I was working in the family packaging business. My dad, he still has this packaging business, but he basically supplies a lot of your plastic packaging. So think about tubes, bottles to some of the big players out there. Um, and I was working with him alongside him, you know, just doing whatever a family member can do, basic admin, helping with the emails here and there. And it's there that I learned a lot about product development and I was also seeing this gap in the market for this Australian luxury, particularly that luxury side of things. Um, and I was like, well, what? I have, I have, we have contacts, we have access. Why not create something? 
Um, and it just so happened at the same point in time, my mum was actually suffering from just super sensitive skin. So everything would irritate her. Um, and like I said, again, it was just this perfect opportunity. Well, why don't we create something that you could use and then market it or sell it off um, and then celebrate again what Australia can create? Yeah, that's an incredible story. So was there anything in that your dad's business that sort of pushed you to go more down the eco's, eco-friendly, sustainable aspect? Because I think you said plastic bags and sort of manufacturing. Yeah, so the plastic... Yeah, this is this is this this is going to open a can of worms. Um, <laughs> so there wasn't necessarily in his business at that point in time that made us want to go down that route. It was just always to us that it just made sense to have to be looking at um, products that have a sustainable aspect to it. So, for example, when we launched, we only launched with eight SKUs or eight products, and one of those products was a microdermabrasion exfoliating scrub. Um, and from early on, we already knew that we wanted to avoid using PE micro beads um, because they are causing great damage to our ocean waves. Um, and they were before this, this was before they were actually banned in Australia. Um, but we knew that we wanted to already kind of create that and, and create products that eliminated that, that problem. Um, so yeah, so no real um, flow on effect from the family business in terms of wanting to be sustainable. I think it was just one of the values that we carry for from personal values that we carry through our business. But in terms of um, his business now and plastic packaging, um, he's actually like, this is one of those things where he's on the forefront of what changed and um, what can be changed. Um, so he has access to things like the post-consumer recycled plastics, which is, I think, one of the best things that we can do um, as brand owners, as businesses to incorporate within our businesses. Um, and, you know, there's, uh, thankfully, because we have such a great contact there, we're able to incorporate that into our business quite early on. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, awesome. And you just spoke a little bit about your launch. And I know you mentioned that you actually launched in Thailand, not Australia. So you just want to give me a rundown on that story, why it was a success or not so much. Yeah. Um, so when we first created Enbachi, again, we, we didn't decide it would be suitable for the Australian market. We had a feeling that it was going to be better suited as an export brand. Um, and it just so happened that we had contacts in Thailand um, and this is one of those stories where it's like you trust a friend a little too much and you get yeah. burned <laughs> um, so unfortunately for us long story short is Thailand didn't work out we did so like I said we, we launched in October in Thailand we had a beautiful event we had lots of media personnel there but the partnership just wasn't right for us um, and so we quickly withdrew from that that being said, because we did have such a magnificent launch in Thailand, it did capture a lot of media attention. Um, and I remember like getting phone calls from friends who actually are Thai friends, and they're being like, "Did you did you launch a brand here in Thailand? Like we're seeing it everywhere." And I'm like, "Okay, something went like the good takeaway is that it it, it you know something resonated with with that um with that launch, um, and that we were able to kind of continue on that journey then, and we brought the the brand back into Australia and we decided that Australia was going to be our focus market kind of going forward because I feel like you can't necessarily sell a brand overseas without having the full picture and the full Australian story developed. 
yeah, over here. Yeah, for sure. And with Thailand, did you launch in, into retail first or was it direct-to-consumer online? So it was, um, it's basically, we launched with multiple retailers. So, and a lot of like bespoke, so uh, spas, salons, those kind of connections. Um, and that was where, you know, where we had this relationship with um, ex-friend and he yeah. was developing these connections with them um, and selling the, the, the products onto them. Um, we had a lot of, and we also had kind of like one of those ambassador situations where you come on as a brand ambassador. It was kind of just before you, this social influencer marketing kind of really made waves in Australia or in, in the Western community. So in Asia, that was kind of already a big thing. Um, and that's how people were already, I guess, recognized they could generate a side income through these ambassador programs. Um, so we had some some amazing talents um, who took on Mbachi as an ambassador, um, and that's how we kind of started over there. Yeah, and was it the same in Australia? Did you open Pran or however you pronounce that suburb? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah so um, we actually took a more direct-to-consumer approach where we um, did have the online store but what we also did on in, in for us in the early days is we focused heavily on bloggers and influencers. And I'm talking micro bloggers and influencers. And again, this was kind of in the early days of blogging and influencers where um, you know, it was relatively new and and blogging was very much blogging, <laughs> like it was text. Yeah. It wasn't visual, it wasn't this is before Instagram kind of make it made it big. So we developed our relations there um, and we had events where we invited them to come and join. And, and as obviously as part of that would be the, the expectation that they would then go and share their experience, their journey, their, you know, what they loved about pro their products and what have you. Um, the beautiful thing about that journey is that a lot of these micro bloggers or bloggers back then have over the course of the 10 years that we've been around have also grown with us, um, probably grown bigger than us in some, some respects as well. Um, and because we have those relations, they are more than happy to share, you know, any news that we may, any press release that we may have, um, come to events, support us. And yeah. And it's really nice to see that go out to their, you know, their millions of followers in the communities. Yeah, for sure. And how have you seen like the influencer marketing change since like 2010? Obviously, it was a massive boom. And then now the sort of market feel is like there's um, like obviously organic algorithm reach on Instagram. Um, it's declined a lot. Um, and it's sort of like a bit of a trend to say influencer marketing is dead. How have you found that? I don't think it's dead. I think it's changing. Um, one of the other things I think that plays into that, particularly in the personal care and beauty industry, is the regulations and the compliance that's coming through. So influencers having to say that things are gifted, um, you know, contra-gifting and what have you, or um, them being able to use specific terminology that I think some brands could have got away with as, not, as being not technically they can say, but somebody else can say for them. Um, so I think a lot of those have come into play um, and obviously reduced the impact of social media influences and influencer strategy marketing. 
Yeah, um, and you're just talking about some ACCC regulations at the moment, right? Um, that's not only the ACCC regulations. So these were these were TGA, um, so Therapeutic Goods of Australia. Um, I think what may have hit headline news was when they were talking about sunscreens in particular. So um, you know, being able not being not being able to talk about sunscreens um, on the platform as in general um, because the sunscreens are a therapeutic product, not what we call a cosmetic product. Okay. Um, yeah. now, I remember of, not too while ago, like, yeah, some headlines were floating around and, um, yeah, it's a bit of in a distant memory, but, yeah, they were really cracking down on people, like, pretty much shilling skincare products, even though it might have some dangerous ingredients in it or something like that. And, yeah, some of the claims were not within normal regulations. Is that right? Um, well, yeah. So again, this was this was to do with the sunscreens in particular, saying that you know, um, you know, basically just in social influences saying, "Oh, I'm using this sunscreen," but not talking. Of, and it's one of those things where it's medicalized as well. Like it's yeah. it's how to talk about medical advice and not giving medical advice where it's not actually from a medical professional. Um, so that's where that crackdown was. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, I think you were asking the, the ACCC. So the ACCC was looking at greenwashing claims. So things where brands might say, oh, we're a sustainable brand. Um, so making sustainability claims that aren't validated, really. Um, and where that comes into play is, I think what we're seeing now is brands having to withdraw on things they're telling social influences as to what they can say, kind of having to fact check what they're take what their what their um press releases may say um and then yeah so again not having as much of an impact with you know their news blast as they previously could have had yeah cool and what else have you seen change within the marketing space because you've been around for quite a while now almost a decade which is a very long time um yeah. how else have you seen like ebbs and flows like have you jumped on like a new trend platform like tiktok or yeah, yeah. tell me about yeah. some so of those tiktok ebbs and was flows. something that's something that's definitely new um it's not something that we feel fit our target market so it's not something that we've heavily invested into um I guess one of the other things that we're seeing is um, I think what there is going to be is there's going to be this shift from live streaming and live streaming sales. So it's very big in Asia and popular in Asia to do live streaming sales. It's, you know, kind of like the equivalent of having television infomercials <laughs> um, doing that buy now and you get this amount, mm. this, this discount free. I um, honestly haven't, um, I haven't seen one yet. Like I've been hearing like whispers around social media and stuff like that. Live selling is going absolutely crazy. And I've like, yeah. looked a little bit into it, but I haven't actually sat down and experienced that yet. Because as yeah. you said, every time I see an infomercial on TV, I'm like, I'm out of here. I'm you going to do something off. else. <laughs> yeah, I'm 100% on that. I am on that, on that similar wavelength. Um, but yeah, so in Asia, it is like the way to purchase products. And it's, you know, there are so many different platforms. Like in, if we look at China alone, there are so many different platforms um, that cater to that specific selling method. In Australia, we really only have TikTok and Instagram, but you're seeing how these had their live streaming um, capabilities. And so I think what we're starting to see now is some brands jumping on and selling these um selling via those channels 
Um, so I think, you know, one that I can come to mind is a crystal brand and that's where they actually generated most of their revenues, particularly during COVID. Yeah, that's crazy to think about, like, you just come across somebody live streaming, talking about their crystals and then you make an impulse purchase. That's <laughs> crazy to me. So, um, yeah, what else have you changed? I know you're running some, like, Facebook ads at the moment. Like, how have you seen that industry change? I know you've taken it in-house recently. You're doing it a bit yourself. Yeah, so it is one of those things where we used to try and outsource it because I always thought it's not something that I have experience in and I think the experts could do it better. Um, unfortunately, I have yet to be proven wrong. <laughs> I mean, yet to be proven right. Yeah. Yet to be proven right. Um, just unfortunately, yeah. So we haven't never had a really great experience with managers or ad managers. Um also having that creative directive the way that you want it to be created um just despite how many briefs you may send out um so it's just something that we decided to bring in-house um and really try and learn and try and gear towards um so recently signed up with um a e-commerce equation and their customers um program just to, it's a 10-week course and it's just to give a quick like I guess um, introduction as how to set up your Facebook ads um, and this is particularly just this is only Facebook ads so um, looking at how you do your Facebook ads setting them up and yeah just running them and evaluating them and testing them and understanding what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, I feel like a lot of like brand owners that do outsource early on don't actually understand like what's happening in the ad account. So they can't tell if an agency is doing well or not. I spoke to a lady just yesterday where she's like, oh, I've been with this company for two years and I jumped into the ad account because she wanted an order because she thought things were going south. And I jumped yeah. in, I was like, these guys have spent thousands of dollars at like a 0.8 times return. I'm like, they haven't made you money. No wonder they weren't giving you actual spend versus return because they were saying, oh, I can't really pull there that nothing, up. It's, yeah. a bit, it's a bit messy, like the algorithm, the tracking, the blah, blah, blah. And I yeah. just pulled it up right in front of her and she was like, oh, yeah, like no wonder they weren't showing it because they weren't actually generating return. And that's where I think it's really important for new starts just to learn the basic, basic like fundamentals of like even just to click around the Facebook ads manager, pull up metrics like ROAS or your cost per purchase or your purchase conversion value and stuff like that. I think it's very important for brand owners to understand understand because there is yes. so many horror stories out there of brands being burned by um, not so good agencies. Yes, 100%. And it's not only like for Facebook ads, it's also like Google ads and understanding mm. SEO. Um, that's something that we've had to learn over the years as well because I think <laughs> it's changed so much um, and keeping on top of it. Um, you know, one of my things as as a business owner or as a business leader is that you need to know every aspect of your business. Even if you don't do it, you should understand just the basics and how it works. Um, so yeah staying on top of it 100 percent. yeah so obviously you've got your physical location and your online store as well how do you stay on top of both those revenue streams um it's pretty easy you myob <laughs> myob is great um my, my, my favorite platform um <laughs> um i'm a zero man so 
<laughs> That's well, what my accountant uses anyway. So, <laughs> well, we only use Myop because obviously we have we have multiple locations. So we have the store and we also have the warehouse. Um, and so for us, it's important to keep track of inventory, and that's the best way for us to keep track of inventory. Um, how do we do both revenue streams? I guess, like I said, making sure you stay up to date with your accounting and know where your revenue is coming from. For us, we know that a lot of it is coming from um, e-commerce. Um, and on top of that, sorry, I didn't also mention, we also have, so we have store, we have warehouse, we also have, so we have e-commerce, and then we also have exports that we still do. So um, an understanding again, mapping out those channels, knowing where that, those revenues are coming from, um, making the monthly report or quarterly report as necessary. Yeah, it would be difficult. And how do you advertise the different sectors, like your physical location compared to your online store? So physical, for us, we actually really decided just to leave physical alone as it is. If people are coming to us, if people are looking for the brand anyway or looking at anything, they're going to see that we have a physical location. Um, so physical, we we leave it mainly as it is. It's It's a place for, I guess, more that, credibility and to offer that additional experience um being a luxury brand for us um experience for me has been key um i I remember one from one of my retail early retail days um a manager has said to us you know is um having someone walk through the door and providing them with that ultimate experience. No, they may not buy something that day, but it's the next time they visit or the next time they visit or when they're coming back to purchase that engagement ring that they've remembered that first experience you gave them. And so that's why they could return. Um, So for me, having this physical location is an ability to do that. Mm. Um, We, what we do, we offer in store is we offer this, um, like you can come and try and purchase and try any of our products. And if you want to, we will sit down with you and give you a little mini facial and teach you how to use the products. Um, and just taking that time, you know, building that rapport with your customer, letting them know that you're here to listen and know their concerns um, and help them educate them through their skincare journey. That's to me, that little bit of luxury that we get. Um, yeah. It's a Did bit I answer like, your uh, question? Oh, I'm not sure if I answered your question. Yeah, I think yeah, I segued majorly there. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's pretty much like how I look for like a cafe to take my girlfriend out to lunch or dinner. It's like I don't actually know what's in town. I would just go on Instagram and start flicking through the local um, directory of like local restaurants and stuff until I find one that actually looks aesthetically pleasing on Instagram and then I'll go to the <laughs> physical location. So it's a bit similar there and it's sort of um, a concept that, sort of grew culture kings to where it is at now as well because the founder there he's like i just want like for young uh like uh young teenagers like 15 16 when they get their first paycheck like he wants an experience so good where they're just like i want to spend my first paycheck at culture kings and give them that experience that they're going to remember for the rest of their life and that's how he's made his millions just by creating those like in-house experiences because they have like yeah. basketball courts and DJs and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, yeah it's very exactly. interesting that you give people that experience in-house where I, I, I've never seen Mecca do that. Well, not that I've been um, in Mecca I, too much. I think, I think <laughs> they've actually just started to roll it out or something similar along the lines of that. Um, 
but yeah, I, I want to say we're, 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 uh, what's that word? Um, pioneers in our industry. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, and, and kind of going further, I think this is kind of go back to your question and actually answer your question. How do we market to the different, the different, the different, um, incomes? Um, so for the store as well, what we do, what we recognize was, um, we have a clear age bracket who look for things like the physical location um, and a clear target market. So our clear target market for the, the store itself is 45 plus mums, um, people who don't want to purchase online. Um, where we use the store, we actually get also a lot of phone call orders, um, whether that be in Western Australia or Queensland, that's what the store is really there for. Um, online the target market there is a bit younger so it's your 25 plus and that's yeah. when we advertise to the 25 plus year olds yeah it's funny that our people still ring up a physical location because i'm 25 and especially the girls around my age don't like making phone calls, phone calls? whatsoever yeah. even if it's just like as again book a restaurant or something like that if there's like no online booking form like we're just avoiding that place because they won't book it so yeah it's very funny that yeah 40 plus still order by phone yeah and it's 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 also like i think the convenience um i a lot of the times we're shopping online is just convenient and you avoid <laughs> it's funny some people avoid um face-to-face -face communication where other people seek it so yeah. i think by having both we we, we, we cover our bases yeah, it's definitely like me when I go into Bunnings, like that person at the front, I'm like, I'm straight to them, like, where's this? Whereas yeah. like other people will just go and get lost for half an hour and waste all their time. So bring out the funny. Bunnings website, look at which aisle it's on. I'll uh, just bring out the product is. and I'm like, where's this? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's funny. Obviously, we're coming to the end a bit, but do you have like any hot takes in the industry in at the moment in, in the skincare space? Um, a few, um, obviously the sustainability aspect, um, this, 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 the sustainability marketing side of things is coming up. Um, we're seeing that a lot of people are learning to market their sustainable journey, sustainability journey. Um, one of the ways we do this is through sustainabilitytracker.com. And I think a platform like that is something that you're going to see and people refer to a lot to in the future. Um, I think in Australia, particularly, we're seeing this minimalism as well. So, and that again works in hand in hand with the sustainability. People wanting to live in a more sustainable lifestyle. Um, and what does that mean to me? It means conscious consumerism. So we're going to start purchasing less. I think we might start to see a little bit of a uh, what's that word? A um, a hit back against you know the Black Friday, Cyber Mondays, the click frenzies. Um, not so much in the next couple of years, but kind of going forward, because as people are then trying to, you know, be conscious of where they're spending their money um, and this minimalism approach that's, that's starting to grow, um, you know, we're already seeing in the skincare industry where two years ago, the Korean 10-step skincare trend was huge. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that was how many, you know, it's like how many products can we put on our face in one night? Whereas now we've been like, okay, that's not necessarily the most sustainable way to go about things. What are the products, key products that I can just use in at night? And it might just be a two or three step instead of 10. Um, we're seeing you just, this... you just need the three in one um, shampoo and conditioner that all the males use. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> 
I, I like to say we have um we have so we recently launched a cleansing balm. I call it the calm and calm reset cleansing balm. Um, and that is what I think is kind of trending now in the skincare industry. So it's your makeup remover, but it's your it's got moisturizing factors um, as well as the cleansing effect. So it's like your three in one um, product there. So those kind of things is what I'm seeing. You're also seeing what's called skinification. And that's basically when makeup products or color cosmetics are now including ingredients that are typically reserved for cosmetic um, skincare. So, yeah. Yeah, interesting. And what about like AI? Are you playing around in that area at the moment? What are you doing um, there? Yeah, most definitely. Any apps that um, you're using? So, obviously, because we, so we, our website is through Shopify. Um, and Shopify obviously have like integrated a lot of AI technology through just like product description and what have you. And I'm always there just like highlighting what we currently have and clicking the AI and seeing what they come up with. Um, ChatGBT as well, obviously, is like amazing in terms of just getting like an idea started um, yeah. and understanding that copyright and understand like knowing where you could actually make your copyright better or worse. Obviously still holes and things that need to be you know, fixed, but it's kind of just that starting, um, that starting platform. Um, I saw someone recently say, actually, you know, people will probably know this, so Wrapped, um, which used to be her little black book or her black book. Um, they're, they're like a kind of like a shop back cashback reward system. Um, but they, the founders there said that they actually did and ran their whole campaign through AI generated images. Um, like you'll get occasionally get the six fingers or like the four hands, but overall, like the, the overall imagery has been pretty amazing. Um, and just to, to see what, what comes out of that. So, yeah, so a lot of like, I guess, content development is going towards AI. Yeah, for sure. Content is king, as everybody says. And Facebook is like just speaking in my expertise, like Facebook's moving more and more towards AI as well. It's less hands on and it's more about creative and copy, allowing that to do the targeting for you just through the feedback loops that the audience will give you. Feed that to the AI and then be like, hey, we don't want to show any more skincare to men. Let's go to all women and then narrow down the age ranges like that. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. It's a pretty interesting space and one I'm definitely keeping a close eye on. Yeah. I mean, like, as a small business owner, it's always like, how can we maximize where we put our, our effort, right? So, for us, if, it's, if our specialty isn't necessarily content development, well, then you're going to see where else you can yeah. hand, handle that task to. Um, and if AI is one of those ways where you can get your general idea out there, but have something created and bring it to life, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, just before we finish up, do you want to leave the listeners with any last thoughts or opinions? Maybe a word of advice? Um, yes. <laughs> um, I think one of the things I always say about um any business and particularly if you're in the beauty and personal care industry um, is understanding IP and having your own IP. Um, it's such a, uh, a capital for you to have. Um, capital is the right word. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an asset, sorry, an asset for you to have. Um, so, you know, I think one of the things we're seeing at the moment is a huge rise in these 
little indie brands that are Instagram famous or TikTok famous. Um, but to me, I know that to, for them to start to get to where they are, you know, it's we're looking at a 12 to 24 month development plan and not a lot of these little brands have had done that. So um, from a compliance and regulatory perspective, you got to question whether they've ticked all their boxes and um, crossed all their T's and dotted their I's. From a, you know, an innovative perspective, you've got to ask whether they actually created those brands or whether, whether these products or whether they're white labeling. And white labeling is basically where you somebody else has manufactured the product and they sell it to you and just put your label over it and they sell yeah. it to the same, another person and put their label over it. That's pretty um, much how everyone's creating brands with AI. That's just the AI creating a logo <laughs> and sourcing the white label There is product. that too. Yes, exactly. Um, and so I guess one of the things is for me is having that IP and making sure you do create your own formulations and owning those formulations um, because that for me, that, that, that's what separates you also from the market, right? Um, in our case, you know, us having the fruit and plant stem cells um, in, our, in our product formulations, that's a, that's a key selling point for us and a unique selling point for us. So, um, yeah, wherever you can, make sure you own your own P. If you need to copyright it, have it copyrighted. Um, make sure you speak with a copyright lawyer. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. So thanks so much for coming on. And just before I let you go, just want to share your socials or where people can interact with you as well. Yep. So for Instagram, you can follow Enbachi. So it's just at Enbachi, um, E-N-B-A-C-C-I. Follow me on Instagram as well. And it's just my name, Yongli Zhou, um, Y-O-N-G-L-I-Z-H-O-U. Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, go to our website, uh, com, or you can head to our store if you're in Melbourne, um, which is at 552 High Street in Paran. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed this one. Thank you. Lots of